This episode is thanks to Hail the Kale, healthy meals home delivered that you're actually going to want to eat. Welcome to the Left of Field Podcast with Danny Kavanagh. Victoria, welcome to the Left of Field Podcast. How are you going today? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, for all our listeners, make everyone extremely jealous and tell us where are you in the world? <laughs> I'm currently in Phuket, Thailand, beautiful resort. The weather is absolutely beautiful. So jealous. I'm based in Perth right now and it's a very sunny day at the moment here, but the weather is so up and down that love to be in a resort in Thailand. Yeah, yeah. Before we left, it was pretty cold um, and pretty up and down. So yeah, it's nice to have some consistent weather. And so I guess we'll get to why you're in Thailand, but firstly, um, I just want to say uh, congratulations on the pregnancy and then I guess congratulations on the retirement from Mai Tai. Wow, it must have been a big few weeks for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously been holding on to me for a couple of months, just waiting for the 12-week mark to announce to the world. Yeah, like I think you sort of realise that the end is coming, but you, it, it doesn't really hit you until you sort of put it out into the universe. So yeah, it's been pretty interesting um, and even more interesting now that I'm in Thailand because originally this was actually supposed to be like a camp and then a fight at the end in, in Bangkok. So obviously the holiday is very different and having to sort of adjust as I go because I'm sort of, I'm not used to going on holiday, but usually, you know, you come to Thailand to fight. So yeah. Not very good at just sitting by the pool and doing nothing, but you are still training. Mm-hmm. So you managed to, I yeah. guess, keep up a bit of training even while you're pregnant? Yeah, definitely. So um, just trying to do as much as I can that day. So that's been pretty good. So I've been training once a day at the moment here in Thailand. Obviously, everything's very adjusted. So really just hitting pads and yeah, that's pretty much all that you can sort of manage when you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And so you've been, I guess, fighting for, what is it now, over a decade? Professional fighting? Yeah, about 10 years. Yeah. And so did you have plans to retire soon? You said it was, you know, coming up. Did you have plan to retire or was this kind of just, you had no choice? Yeah. So um, my original plan was to sort of finish out this year and potentially six months into next year and just tick off a few things that we sort of had in the pipeline and then obviously start a family but it's come a little bit sooner so as much as there was you know there was a bit for me to to accomplish um, in the sport well that I wanted to feel very blessed that you know I was able to fall pregnant and yeah it wasn't difficult at all so bittersweet. Yeah, bittersweet because but you still must be proud because you did accomplish a lot in your time fighting. And we'll take it back to the beginning, I guess. So, Mai Tai, how did you get into it? And what made you want to pursue it? So, as a kid, at about six years old, um, my mum enrolled me in some taekwondo with my brother. So, I was sort of like pushed into martial arts. I didn't actually think I'd like it, but I ended up taking it, you know, I think I did it for most of my primary schooling years. Sort of dropped off in high school, sort of took place in netball and more team sports. When I finished high school, I sort of lacked a bit of direction in my life. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. You know, you start partying, you earn some money, you can go out and eat what you want. So I started to put on a bit of weight and I thought, oh, I'm not really happy. I think I'm going to, you know, try and go to the gym. And I just knew that I didn't want to hit weights in the gym because it just wasn't me. So my friend actually suggested Muay Thai and it was something that I'd never heard of before. So I Googled it and there was actually one around the corner from my house. So 
I literally just turned up that week and I pretty much just hit the ground running from there, fell in love with it. It's not a sport that's, you know, heavy female focus. How did you find walking into a Mai Tai gym? Was there other female coaches, other females in your class? How did you find, you know, from the beginning? Yeah, so thinking back to then, like there would probably only be two or three girls training at the gym and the rest would be men. So it was about 10 years ago, so definitely better than it has been. So it definitely was improving by that stage. But, yeah, there really wasn't that many females in the gym to look up to, for sure. And so then what made you decide to take it professionally? And if there wasn't many females in the gym, who were you fighting against? So that was when I was 17. I had my first fight when I was about 20. I walked away for about three years and focused on my career. I sort of just lost a bit of interest. Um, And then I came back when I was about 23. So by that stage, the female scene had grown a little bit. So I sort of started fighting then. It was really only because my coach was like, hey, like, you know, you've got a natural talent for this. Have you thought about competing? Let's put you in in the ring for the first time um, or for the second time, sorry. And I sort of said, yep. And yeah, off we went. And the first couple of fights you have is pretty easy because you're sort of just looking for one other girl that has never fought before. It only really starts to get difficult once you start to have a few more fights. And then you sort of thought, you know, there might be a few girls in your weight category in the state and then you fought them and then you haven't really got anywhere else to go because it's not as if we've got a massive pool of girls to work with. So definitely throughout my career, over the 10 years, I faced a lot of difficulties finding opponents all the way through, like even towards the end, it was quite hard to fought everyone in the state, pretty much fought everyone in the country and it was sort of a matter of getting international and then obviously facing COVID and not being able to travel all those sorts of things were factors. Did you ever have to fight, I guess, people that weren't the right opponent for you or did you just, you know, go periods without fighting? Would you ever find someone that was a lot bigger than you or someone that you wasn't ideal? I fought girls, like I fought a lot of rematches. So for my first, say, like four years of my professional career, I was sort of rematching the same girls, which I was okay with because they were really high-caliber girls. Once I sort of got to a national level, because I hadn't had a lot of opportunities at a state level, I was fighting girls that had, you know, triple my experience or triple my fight experience. But it didn't necessarily mean that they were better than me. So, you know, I'd trained probably maybe just a little bit less than them, but because of the fight opportunities in WA, you know, there's less girls over here, just meant that I was coming up against girls with 35 and I had 10. There was an instance where I did. Yeah, I did go up in weight because I thought, you know, I pretty much fought everyone in the country, let's just go up in weight. It just wasn't really the right thing for me to do because the weight categories are, like, quite far apart. So I did try that. That didn't work out, so I came back down to my weight. What kind of fighter were you then? What were your strong suits against those women? I was generally the shorter, the shorter fighter, so it meant that I had to be evasive. So I'd have to sort of move quickly and have... I guess, different movements. So I'd be moving like to the side, I'd be moving backwards and forwards. But I guess that was probably the biggest challenge for my opponents to deal with. And were there any standout fights then you can think back to that were some real highlights for you? Oh, geez, I fought some pretty awesome battles. Probably, I reckon my last fight, I reckon that was cool. It ended in a, in a draw, but it was actually a really cool, cool fight to watch because he sort of saw me 
come out and be a bit more aggressive in the first round and then realizing that wasn't working, that wasn't my style. So I had to adjust as the fight went and sort of go back to more of my evasiveness rather than aggressiveness. Uh, but I reckon that was a really cool fight. That was against Katie from New Zealand and that was just this year in March. Wow, that's cool. So being able to change on the go must be, you know, a skill that I guess you learn over the, over the years. And you also changed yes. gyms throughout your career. So you started off champions in Perth and then went to Riddlers. Do you, did that change yes. your style as well? Did you have different coaches or did your whole team move with you? So um, I, had to, I guess I didn't necessarily have to change my style because my, my coach, does, Darren, he, he knew what my strengths were. It was more about adding weapons to the arsenal. So, yeah, it was it was quite a tough transition, you know, training with the same people for most of my career, which was about eight years for then training in a totally different environment, having to just readjust everything, including like the pad style, you know, even just the layout of our workout and obviously like, yeah, just taking instructions, which I wasn't used to. That was interesting, but I feel like once I was sort of a bit embedded, which took me about a year, definitely my style improved just from the change. Yeah, and you won a lot of, you know, state and national titles. And throughout your career, not only did you change gyms, you'd go do these fight camps like you are right now in Thailand. What did the benefit of going to Thailand do to your, your performance? Well, it's just sort of having different different people around you that can, you know, give you different advice. Because when you're training in the same environment, and, and that works, uh, where you've got the same coach that can sort of give you direction. If you go to another, another country like Thailand, where, you know, Muay Thai is their sport, they can potentially teach you things that you haven't learned before because you've got access to all these different trainers who have got all these different styles and they can sort of, you know, impart knowledge onto you. And even just even just the amount of training that you're able to do when you're in Thailand, like when, when you're at home, you know, I work full time, I get up, I do like an hour session at, at the gym, go home and work, and then I go back to the gym. So there's really not a lot of time where you can really focus on your training, whereas when you're in Thailand, you've got you've got a three hour session in the morning. You go home, you rest, have a sleep, and then you're at it again for another three hours. So that's six hours worth of training. So back at home, that's probably two or three days worth of training that you're cramming into one day. What did you learn in Thailand? What was one? Like, what is some lessons that you think really uh, you know improved your like your your game? Really, the only training camp that I've, obviously I'm, I'm pregnant now, so there's really not much that I can learn here from the sitting pads. But when I was back in, in Thailand last year for the um, infusion documentary, I think I probably just improved my knee game and probably in my clinch game. I never really wanted to clinch because I knew that wasn't going to be where I was strongest. So sort of like having to be in Thailand where clinching is very important. I mean, it should be important everywhere, but it's very easy to not do it back at home because, you know, you're training for two hours and there's not a lot of time to focus on everything, whereas here it's like, you know, you clinch for an hour. So that was probably something that I took away from from training in Thailand, definitely. Okay, and so for all our listeners, this is a sports podcast in general, so people might not know exactly what clinching is. Could you explain to our listeners what clinching is? Yeah, so clinching is basically stand-up grappling. So you think about, like, wrestling but you can't actually be on the floor. You're standing up, so you're really just holding onto the arms and, and the neck and you can knee in that position and you can elbow in that position. And the trick with it, it doesn't matter your body size really, is it? You're, you're trying to manoeuvre them and hold them in a position. Even if you're the weaker opponent, you can still be really good at clinching, can't you? 
Yeah, yeah. So when I was in Thailand years before that, I was clinching 12-year-old boys that would be sweeping me to the ground. So, And how much would they weigh? Like 30 kilos? <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And you know, They just understand the clinch so well because they train it so much and they just make you look like a noob. <laughs> are you looking for prepared meals that are home delivered and actually look as good as they taste? Well, if you're anything like me and you eat with your eyes, you're going to love Hail the Kale. Hail the Kale is a Perth food delivery service which delivers healthy, minimally processed whole foods straight to your front door. They are vibrant rainbow-coloured bowls packed with flavour. You can pick veggie or chicken. They're all gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free. So they'll fit everyone's diet. They are super delicious and you get to try them yourself with 15% off if you use the code LOF15 at checkout. That is LOF15 to receive 15% off your Hail the Kale bowls. So get prepped. And so you touched on it before. You were you did a documentary last year about your, I guess, fighting fight camp. How did that come about? Yeah, so Infusion Documentary is something that they've been doing for quite a number of years. And obviously they wanted to bring it back, but uh, we were hit by COVID. So it didn't, I was actually signed up to do it a couple of years ago. And then it was sort of getting dragged, kept getting dragged out because of COVID. But I finally got to go in in June. And basically the format was, was when they were flying all these different people from all around the world. I think we had, I can't remember how many girls. I think it was eight Muay Thai girls. There was a bunch of kickboxing guys and a bunch of MMA guys. And the idea was that we were to stay at this camp. We would train together. We'd do challenges together. It would be like media days and things like that. And then we would fight each other. So we'd fight each other on, say, like Thursday. And then whoever won from the first night would go on again to fight four days later. So that was a really interesting format because I actually came down a little bit. So I'm, I'm normally a 61 and a half kilo fighter. I came down to 60 and I was having to make weight for that twice in that four day period. So that was, there was a lot of challenges that I faced coming into that, but it was just such an incredible experience to be able to do something like that and just live and breathe Muay Thai for, I, don't know, I think it was like three weeks. So yeah, it's, it's all been filmed, it's all been edited and that will come out, I think probably in the next couple of months. That's exciting. And so, I mean, cutting weight once in a fight camp is really hard and backing it up though, mm. fighting and cutting and fighting and cutting. How did you find that challenge? So like the first cut is a bit easier. Like when you get to Thailand, you can sweat a lot harder and a lot faster and you lose the weight a lot faster because you're training so much. So my first weight cut was fairly easy. Like I was probably the biggest girl in the documentary. So I was having to come down. Like, a lot of them weren't even really having to cut weight. So I had to cut weight. That was fine. It was actually the second weight cut that was really difficult because for anyone that sort of understands weight cutting, the way you get down to your weight is by manipulating, like, your carbohydrates, your salts in your body. But when you're preparing for a fight, those are sort of things that you need your body to have an abundance of. For energy. So you've got to have lots of salt so you don't cramp. Yeah, you've got to have lots of carbs so you've got that quick energy source and there's the two things that you don't have during you know a fight week um, in preparation for your cut so having to rehydrate and do all those sorts of things before a cut a few days before was really interesting so in preparation for that I had like walking around a lot lighter than I normally would so definitely my body was under a lot more stress than it would normally be I did get there 
but definitely affected my performance in the ring for the second time, for sure. You mentioned before yeah. that you, you know, during your whole fighting career, you also had to have a full-time job. How hard was that managing yeah. the two? And do you think in the future, you know, women will be able to focus on it solely as their sole career and really chase down being a professional athlete? I definitely feel like we're closer to that now than we were you know, a couple of years ago. But I still feel like we're quite a way off because you've got to earn a living. You can't fight and be paid a couple of thousand bucks, you know, every three or four months if you're lucky. It's just, it's just not, it's not livable. So it would, it would be nice to be able to, you know, just be a Muay Thai fighter and do that full time. I definitely feel like if I had the opportunity to do that, I would have gotten a lot further, a lot faster. But with that said, for me, like, it's always been really important for me to have something outside of Muay Thai because it's such a short sport and it's such a brutal sport that you only you can only do it for so many years. And you're, even if I hadn't fallen pregnant, I definitely would have retired in the next couple of years just because it's so intense what you have to put your body through. So being able to have a career outside of Muay Thai was something that was super important to me. So while over the last 10 years I've, I've faced some you know, big challenges, just trying to manage my career and, you know, my professional career in banking and also my professional career as a fighter was difficult, but definitely something that I wouldn't give up now sort of looking back. You know, there was times where I was I was still on the clock working the morning of a wake cut. I'm getting in the bath for 20 minutes, sweating it out, and then I'm answering emails, you know, just things like that. It, was, it, it is unusual, but I had to do it, you know, you, run out of annual leave, you know, you head off to Thailand, you spend all your time doing that. So, yeah, definitely there are challenges with it. But for me, that's the only way I would have done it. And not only did you have, you know, your career, you also have a really big, I guess, side passion for greyhound dogs and stopping, putting an end to racing. How did that come about? Yeah, so I actually adopted my greyhound a couple of years ago. I wasn't really aware of what was happening in the industry. It was just that I liked the dog and I've always rescued all my animals. So I adopted him a couple of years ago and after following all the groups and things like that, I started to realize how bad the racing industry was and I started looking into it and I was just appalled with what was happening. So I just thought, you know, what is the point of having all these followers on Instagram and, and people know you if you're not actually putting something good out into the world? So I thought, well, if I can do at least one thing that, that's just educating people on greyhound racing and and what's really happening behind the scenes. So that's been something that I've sort of focused on in conjunction with my fighting career. And yeah, hopefully I've educated a few people through just conversation, through my Instagram, you know, those sorts of things through podcasts. What are some things that you recommend that people could do for greyhound racing? Is it adopting, you know, adopting a, a greyhound? Is that the best thing we can do to help support it? I think the best thing to do is really just educate yourself on what's happening in the greyhound racing industry. Some really good resources on Free the Hound. So if you Google that, you can have a look. But, you know, there's, I can't even tell you, probably 13,000 greyhounds have died on the tracks in the last, I think, since 2015. I could be wrong. That's not to mention all the animals that are injured through the racing industry as well. So, yeah, just, you know, if you walk into a TAB and you're tempted to to bet on a greyhound, just think about, you know, all these animals that die just through racing for for our benefit. There really is no real benefit to, you know, greyhounds racing around a track. So that's probably number one, just don't bet on it. And if you know anyone that's 
wanting to bet on it, tell them the reasons why you don't bet on it. You can donate. And then obviously, you know, adopting a greyhound is a big commitment. So obviously, only do that if you are looking for a dog. But there are plenty of greyhounds out there that are looking for homes. If you, you know, you're not a part of the industry or you're not around a track or know people who are, you could really go about your life and not even know that it's happening. Yeah, exactly. And I think most of the people that I chat to, probably 99% of the people that I chat to are like, oh, wow, I didn't, no, I didn't know that. And sort of like they, they're happy that I've opened their eyes to that because it, you know, we all have dogs. We all love dogs. So, you know, you just imagine your own dog running around a track all day, not having a life outside of that and, you know, potentially dying. It's just heartbreaking. I think of my little puppy and I'm like, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so now that I guess, you know, you like you said, you were in Thai, meant to be in Thailand right now for a training camp and obviously those ch- plans have yeah. changed, but you're training still. Does that mean, you know, you haven't lost your love for the sport? Is there a chance that, you know, in a few years or even sooner, once, you know, you've had your child and you've settled in a little bit, would you be considering going back into the the sport professionally? I've been asked this question a few times and as much <laughs> as I'd you know, I'd love to see the idea of like, yeah, maybe. If I'm being completely honest, I, I just think that I'm done. As much as there was, you know, there was a WBC world title that was offered to me that I could have taken, you know, there was a, I could have fought on, you know, big shows here in Bangkok. But I just feel like, you know, I won a world title. I did that. I beat a lot of the girls that I wanted to beat. If I was to take the time away, from the sport, even a couple of years and come back, I, I don't think that I would be the same fighter that I was when I left. And on top of that, I just feel like my time now is just to focus on my family because for the last 10 years, it's, it's, you know, as a fighter, you have to be selfish. So it's all about you. And I'm sort of enjoying the soccer life. I'm, I'm enjoying being around my family and just slowing down. So I just think that I, I did everything that I wanted to do. I'll also, always be around Muay Thai I'm I'm really not sure what what capacity that will be but I think that my fighting life is yeah done (laughs) no that's fair and you should be really proud of everything you have accomplished because you've done you know so well as someone just from Perth and the sport and does there maybe possibility that you could pass on all that knowledge that you have learned to young fighters in the future maybe coach somebody or be a part of a gym in some sort of way yeah, definitely. I think right now, like I've done, I've done coaching in the past. I've done a bit of refing, so potentially that would be what I would do in the future. But I think, you know, I've got so much ahead of me in the next couple of years in terms of, you know, pregnancy and, and birth and just being a mum. So thinking, you know, I just want to focus on that for now and then see where it all takes me, and just let it come to me. I don't want to force anything. Just trust the path that I'm on. Advice will. What would you say to any women out there? Do you encourage them to take up the sport if they think about it, even if it's just recreationally and just for a bit of fitness? Honestly, I could write you a whole novel on the benefits of Muay Thai. But one of the biggest things that stuck out to me recently was I did a, I think it was an eight-week course with one of my friends. And we were sort of bringing in people that had never done Muay Thai or wanting to come back into the sport. And there was a girl there that I taught for the, the eight weeks. And at the end of it, she said to me, you know, now that I've done this course, I feel like if I got attacked in the street, I feel like I could handle myself. And that was just like the best moment for me because I was like, I know exactly how you feel. When I walk down the street, obviously I'm never, never wanting to get into an altercation, but if I did or if something happened to me, I know that I could handle myself. 
And it just made me so happy that I could pass that on to her. So for girls out there, if it's just one thing, that's a reason to, to do Muay Thai because it's hard being a woman out here. If you've got some self-defense skills, it would just give you so much more confidence. And, and when you carry yourself with confidence, you're less likely to be preyed upon. And you're right, like even, you know, traveling and all that kind of stuff, the world out there can, you know, be a bit scary, but you want to be able to know that you can stand your own and um, defend yourself. So it'd be nice to kind of have that security. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's, there's so many other reasons to do it. Positive impact on your on your mental state is just insane. Like if I stepped away from the gym for a week, I would feel depressed because it's just, it just gives you that such a high and even if you're not doing it competitively, even if you're just doing it a couple of times a week for fitness, there's so many benefits of doing Muay Thai. To mention the community, you're doing something so intense, you're bound to make friends and a lot of the time they're friends for life. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. I'm going to let you get back to your holiday, relax by the pool. You've definitely earned it. And uh, I mean, good luck for this next chapter of your life. Excited to see the documentary though. It's a nice little ending, I guess. You've got something, you know, there for life recorded and everyone can see and mm. it'd be exciting yeah definitely i think i'm going to look back on it now and be like oh who is that i don't even recognize myself <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thank you so much for having me on i uh, really appreciate you taking the time to chat